Hello and welcome to another episode of Not If I Reboot You First, a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner and I use they, them pronouns. And today we're gonna, uh, life could be a dream. Shaboom, shaboom again. I don't even know if they played that song. They probably played Sweet Dreams Are Made of These. Yeah. Who am I to look at bees? <laughs> Today we're doing Sucker Punch. Yay! Lindsay, have you ever seen Sucker Punch? No, I tried to avoid most of Zack Snyder's filmography. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. Um, to be well, in the interest of fairness, I have seen Sucker Punch, and I liked what it thought it was. Okay. <laughs> um, I appreciate what Zack Snyder thinks he was trying to do with that movie. Fair, and from the trailers that I saw, it looked nice. It's very stylized. It has some pretty good effects. Yeah, um, I kind of feel like Snyder was better off as like a director of photography than an actual director. That's a pretty common judgment of his stuff as well. Yeah. And then those who do like him as a director, some have even said, like, he should have stuck to smaller budget stuff. Yeah. As we can see with the disaster that was the DC Extended Universe. Mm-hmm. Can't believe they decide to give him the entire control of that. Mm-hmm. Not just, like, a few movies. No, like, you're, you're going to create the whole thing. Yeah. And here's a carte blanche for you, too. Just. Fill in how much money it costs to make this. Maybe, maybe Harry Potter can remake that money. <laughs> uh. All right, so before we get into how we're going to reboot Sucker Punch, I want to talk about what, what the current Sucker Punch is. So Sucker Punch tells a story about a girl named, I'm pretty sure it was Baby Doll. That's not her real name. But she goes by it, and she's dressed in a sailor outfit. Well, we'll get there. Because the sailor outfit isn't the normal outfit. It's because... Okay. So there's a girl named Baby Doll. Okay. And her mother died. Mm -hmm. And her stepfather is evil. He assaulted her and he tried to assault her sister, but she stopped him. And for doing so, she... Oh, she stopped him, but then she accidentally killed her sister because she doesn't know how to aim. And then he had her put away in an asylum because, you know, it's set in the time where if a woman has any emotion, she's gone hysterical. Yay. Just so many uteruses all up in this bitch. Yeah. She's sent to an asylum and she's going to get a lobotomy. But right before she does, it switches. And now instead of an asylum, she's in a brothel and she meets a bunch of other girls. And they're all exotic dancers in this mind brothel. And then right before she has to, like, do a dance for a client... She goes into another dream world, and she meets, uh, what's his name? The Wise Man, played by Scott Glenn. She meets Stick from Daredevil. Okay. And he tells her, hey, uh, dare to be badass. And then she beats up some robot samurai. And from there on, she teams up with four other girls named Sweet Pea, Rocket, Blondie, and Amber. And they steal the stuff they need to escape from the brothel asylum, the brothel asylum. And 
then doing so, like, each time they try and steal something, they go into another dream world. So it's like they have to steal a lighter, but Baby Doll imagines it as them, like, going, fighting off a bunch of orcs and fighting their way into a castle so they can steal crystals from a baby dragon that create fire. And they have to steal a knife, and that's, like, them having to disarm a bomb on a train guarded by robots. And, and yeah, and, stu and stuff happens. And that kind of sums up one issue with the movie is that it's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, it just seems like, like a lot of and then, and then, and then. Yet to quote Film Brain years and years ago when he did a review of this movie, he imitated Zack Snyder in saying, I couldn't figure out which movie I wanted to make, so I just decided to make all of them. Oh. And hey, hey, that can work out well if you do it right. Yeah. I just don't think it did. So this movie is Zack Snyder's... Feminist manifesto, essentially. Manifesto is kind of a lower term, but this is like his feminist opus. Yeah, that's what I heard. This, this is him saying, I love a woman that can kick my ass while dressed as a Sailor Scout. So that's the thing, is that they're, they're not in like the Sailor Scout uniforms until the dream sequences. Okay. Even though most of the movie is a dream sequence. <sighs> okay. John Hamm is a lobotomist, but in the dream brothel, he's also a sexy client. And he whispers sweet nothings into Baby Doll's ears, saying that even though he paid a lot of money to take her virginity, he's not going to do it unless she lets him. Yay. And you can be like, hey, it's about consent. And it's like, well, that's all an extreme technicality. She is a sex slave. Yeah. Uh, although, again, in the interest of fairness, apparently there was a version of the scene where it was not consensual and Zack Snyder vetoed it because that wasn't the message he was trying to send. Still, just... Mm. This, this movie has a lot of the best intentions, um, and it did lead directly to hell. <laughs> yeah, um, you know when, I don't know, a teenage boy discovers feminism and actually, you know, thinks it's cool and all that and not scary at all? And he's trying to be a good ally, but it's that whole gif of <laughs> Will Smith saying, oh, fuck, what was it? He's got spirit or something? Yeah. He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I know what gif you're thinking of. Yeah. He's, he's, he's something like he's a little off, but he's got the spirit. <laughs> yeah. In this case, Zach's kind of like a bit more off. But, hey, at least he's trying. I mean, it, it does have the advantage of it's about... What he thinks the movie is about is a group of young girls who were disenfranchised by the patriarchy and are reasserting themselves in order to reclaim their positions in the world with a combination of kicking ass, a traditionally masculine aspect, and, like, being feminine, which is a feminine aspect. This isn't a quote. This is my reading. Okay. Yeah, and I would say, well, nice try, but the sort of femininity that you're going for is usually the sort of femininity that gets thrusted upon women by men who are trying to objectify and fetishize women. Exactly. And this is one of those movies where, like, um, it's kind of like a Bayonetta situation. Yeah. Do, do you, like, you know what Bayonetta is, right? I know, you don't have to have played it. I know of a Bayonetta. You, you've heard of Bayonetta. Yeah. Rumor come out, Bayonetta. Yeah. If she's real, she's gonna step on you. Yeah, she's... <laughs> You'll probably say thank you. Dominatrix mom? 
A little? <laughs> She's also half angel, half devil, and all of her clothes are made of her hair. But that's not important right now. What's important <laughs> is the fact that if you took one look at Bayonetta and someone said, oh, Zack Snyder made this, you would probably, like, have to grab the wall and go, oh, God, not again. Yeah. But he didn't. A woman made it. And just okay. that means that where Bayonetta is coming from is a place of empowerment rather than this is my kink. Yeah, there's hopefully at least a bit more control because you always have the caveat that the woman might be like uh, E.L. James in this situation. But even then, like, yeah, okay, E.L. James and Fifty Shades has a lot of problems. But can you imagine if Fifty Shades was written by a guy? Oh, no. Yeah. It becomes... 50 times worse. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's where I, death of the author can be very useful, but it all, can also be very useful just to look at who your authors are and their intentions. Yeah. And then there's, we don't even know if this author even existed at this point. Yeah. So, like, if you watch Sucker Punch, you'd probably come out being like, okay, that was fine. It was, there were some parts that made me feel a little skeevy, and then someone said, oh, but, like, Patty Jenkins directed this. Then you try and go, oh, well, now I like the movie a little better because Patty Jenkins made it and I know what kind of, I know where she was coming from. Yeah. And maybe if Patty Jenkins had directed it, then I wouldn't, maybe the shots would have been different. I, I don't know. Again, it's almost like Zack Snyder has like auteur level skills, but the mind of a 16 year old boy. Yeah. But we can use this. <laughs> okay. We can we can take this mind and we can just get rid of all the stuff we don't need. We can break it down to its bare essentials, ring the purest essence of 16-year-old boy, <laughs> one that isn't tainted by any, like, patriarchy or learned misogyny or any of that kind of stuff, and just dilute it to its pure form of, wow, robots are cool. Yeah, because I'm all for, like... Diesel punky alternate history awesomeness. Oh, well, we don't necessarily have to do alternate, well, maybe a smidgen of alternate history. Well, if like, you're going to have giant robots, then it's automatically alternate well, history. Okay, so like in the movie, though, the giant robots were just part of another dream sequence. Like, that's the whole thing. This is like, so the, the feminism, I, I'm not super well equipped to uh, go into the nitty gritty details of the feminist aspects of this film, other than there are parts that made me feel a little skeevy because it's, it is still... Five girls trapped in a mind brothel, and other than Baby Doll and Sweet Pea and maybe Rocket, they're pretty much all cardboard cutouts. You know what? If it is going to be set in a brothel, like, could they not be sex slaves? Could they not be there against their will? Exactly. That's the thing, is that they, they are... Well, and it's not because it's not it's set in a brothel, but it's not set in a brothel because it's really an asylum. And the whole thing is just baby doll reimagining everything as it's set in a brothel, because that's a way for her to escape her situation. And then when things get bad inside that dream level, she goes into a deeper level dream level to escape that situation. Yeah. And so it's it's basically um, inception, like Thank sexy you. inception. It's it is. It's sexception. Oh, God. Um, no. Yeah. Because the problem isn't that they're sex workers the problem is that they didn't ask to be sex workers and while the movie does say hey it's bad that they're sex slaves it also does still use aspects of that to titillate every once in a while yeah and also like the action sequences themselves they're very stylized and i don't think they like go out of their way to do fan service like there aren't any jiggle shots and there i'm pretty sure there's no panty shots it's been years since i watched this movie i'm i'm trying to i might be giving it more credit than it deserves i'm trying to be very fair because the reason this movie's on here is because there are 
enough bits that I like in it that it can be like refined into something that works a little better. When you've got a bunch of girls fighting stuff in schoolgirl uniforms, even if it's not designed to be sexy, like even if there's no explicit fan service shots, just that aspect is a little iffy because with the exception of like Sailor Moon. It's infantilizing. And the thing about Sailor Moon is that they're already teenage girls and the whole thing with those uniforms is that there's a lot of Japanese historical cachet with them and yada yada yada. And also the Sailor Moon girls aren't supposed to be sexy. Like, they can be pretty. They're pretty guardians. Yeah. Like, Naoko Takuichi had a very specific idea when it came to the Sailor uniforms. Part of it was because she just, like, liked the look. But Mm. also because, like, this was targeted at girls. This was meant to be an empowering... A story for girls. So, what we have here is a movie that's essentially feminist empowerment um, and has some really good action scenes that are, you know, a little iffy due to costume design. Yeah. But for the most part, has a decent message buried in there somewhere, just under way too many levels of male gaze and metaphor. Mm-hmm. That's the, okay, that's the other big issue is that so many of the movie is metaphor that it's almost hard to discern what's actually happening because for the most part we're in the brothel setting, but the brothel setting isn't real because the only real setting is the asylum setting. So we don't actually meet any of the girls in the real world. We only meet their dream versions. So we don't even know what like their interactions with Baby Doll were like if they had any. Yeah. And again, the only ones who get much characterization are Baby Doll, Sweet Pea, and maybe Rocket because Rocket is Baby Doll's sister. No, she's Sweet Pea's sister. Okay. Okay, first thing, we're going to give them all normal names. Yeah. If you're like, this is my movie about feminism. Here's my main character, Baby Doll. Yeah, that, ugh. Already really infanticizing. Yeah, that's that's the track I was trying to find. Listen, I've been up for an hour. Okay. <laughs> it's a good thing. Lazy. I've been up since 8 o'clock. I managed to do some shopping. Good job. groceries. Good job. See, I'm also in a dream world right now, so nothing I say is actually real. <laughs> Anyways, it, it's dipped in so many layers of metaphor because of the dream worlds. Like, even the like, director's commentary, Zack Snyder. So the movie ends with four out of five girls dying. God damn it. That's another problem. They almost have everything they need for their escape. And then, I can't remember which one she plays. Vanessa Hudgens of High School Musical betrays the group. Oh. Uh, because she was scared of the proprietor, who's Oscar Isaac. Okay. Like, if you watch this movie, your main takeaway is going to be, oh shit, Vanessa Hudgens, oh shit, Jamie Chung, oh shit, Oscar Isaac. Oh shit, they're all in these movies before they got big. <laughs> yeah. So, Rocket dies while they're trying to get the knife, and then Vanessa Hudgens and Jamie Chung get killed by Oscar Isaac just before they make their escape, and then Baby Doll and Sweet Pea have to get out, and then Baby Doll realizes that the fifth thing, which she was initially told was a mystery, is in fact her sacrifice. So she lets herself be caught so that Sweet Pea can escape. Then she gets, she meets with sexy John Hamm, air quotes, and then it turns out that that was just a deeper metaphor, and then it cuts back to the real world, and she gets lobotomized. But she's at peace, because she was lobotomized? Uh, well, being lobotomized keeps you permanently at peace if the whole thing is a metaphor for surviving and getting past trauma then the and the end result is just forget everything and go into a mindless paradise i don't like that yeah 
So how about everybody lives and manages to get out of there? Yes. Oh, I'm going to step that up further. So another thing that I was thinking of is the fact that in this asylum, the brothel that is really an asylum, like there's more than just the five girls. There's plenty of plenty of girls there. Yeah. And but at no point are the others considered to be rescued. Like, I don't even know yeah. who, but I, I think it's just random, the ones that Baby Doll collects. And like, okay, here's our plan to, for the five of us to escape. Except it's really just one of us to escape, and it's not even me. Um, and I was thinking about that. And then I thought of Riverdale <laughs> Season 2. Yeah. Where Cheryl is taken to the secret gay conversion camp underneath the Catholic asylum. Uh, yeah, the nunnery that also took in Polly while she was pregnant. Yes. And she escaped one cult and went to a different one. Good job, Polly. Oh, Anyways, so Veronica and Tony rescue Cheryl from the secret underground gay conversion <laughs> camp. It was a great scene. <laughs> but, oh, but it made me so angry at the end because they run and they find Cheryl in the middle of, like, their daily brainwashing movie from the 50s. Yeah. And they save her and they kiss in front of everyone and then they leave. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to run out with my girlfriend. Everyone else who's been trapped here... Have fun. Like, just sorry for interrupting your brainwashing movie. Yeah, and they didn't bring it up ever again, and it should have been a big old expose. They, and... they, they might have because Cheryl got caught again, and then Tony sacrificed herself so that Cheryl could escape. But then they saved Tony afterwards, too. So they did bring it up again. I don't know if they ever got the other kids out of there, though. Yeah. <sighs> Come on, Betty. Get on that story. So here's my idea. For Two Sucker, Two Punch. <laughs> so it starts out with pretty much the same presence. Um, main character, we'll call her... Well, I've got a list of popular girls' names from the 1910s because I'm assuming that this is set in either the 20s or the 30s. It's set in vague historical era. Okay, so the... It's in 19xx. So the top names in the United States for girls born in the 1910s were Mary, Helen, Dorothy, Margaret, Ruth, Mildred, Anna, Elizabeth. I think I'm going to go with Dorothy because then we can put an Oz metaphor in there. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, to, we're not making a seven metaphor layer dip. Yeah. We're just mixing it all together into a metaphor smoothie. Yeah. And it's like, no wonder I had like a great grandmother and several aunts named Dorothy. <laughs> Yeah, that's the English side of the family. Nice. That's like all of the Helens on the German side of the family. So we've got a girl named Dorothy. Okay. And in an attempt to defend her sister from her nefarious stepfather, she ends up accidentally killing her sister. And the father manages to use this to put her in an asylum. Okay. But it's a 1910s asylum. Yeah. So it's all like, oh, you're insane because the, the f feminism. Yeah. And we've got... The other five main girls there, and they're, like, these five are just because they're her closest people in her cell. Yeah. And then, like, her first night there, she has a, quote-unquote, hallucination that they're all dressed in high school. And so maybe then we can pay homage to all this sailor uniform stuff there. Yeah, because it was really popular at the time. Do it in such a way where it's tasteful. Like, yeah. it's not flipping up and down for the potential of panty shots and bearing your midriff. It's just normal... Like, At the time, yeah. because honestly, the midi blouse was really, really popular in the 10s and 20s. So Dorothy, she has this whole hallucination, and she thinks, oh no, maybe I really am insane. And then 
she like it stops and she realizes that she has like something has happened that proves that she really was in a high school version of reality like she finds a piece of chalk that she took or something like that okay so like that's pretty early on and she's trying to figure out what's going on and so then like the next night she has a dream and this would be a version of when in the original baby doll first met the wise man yeah where he like the, the whole scene scott glenn is the probably the best part of the movie just because okay. he has such a great presence. Yeah, and I like domestic, so. He shows up and he's like, in order to escape, you're going to need five things. A map, fire, a knife, a key, and a mystery. Okay. And so, like, the map and fire are kind of, like, everything is pretty self-explanatory. And, like, in this world, she's like, well, but what's going on? Like, why am I suddenly in a snowy temple with a giant robot samurai? <laughs> So in the new version, we're going to revise this a smidgen. Because in the original movie, there is another character named Madame Gorski, played by Carla Gugino. Gugino. Okay. In the trailer, it implied that all the girls really were going to like these alternate dimensions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she shows up and she's like, what you see in your mind, you control this reality. And so I want her to actually show up as like a worker in the asylum. Yeah. But she's more like the mole where she's trying to legitimately help the girls yeah. instead of just Ooh. be terrible in a 1910s asylum. I, I just remembered something. So there was a very famous American journalist named Nellie Bly. And uh, one of her famous exposés when um, she was active back in the 18, I think she was working like 1880s to early 1910s. No, early 1920s. Um, so she went undercover in an asylum as a patient, and then uh, she wrote she wrote a very big expose about the treatment of women in uh, mental asylums, and it wow. helped kickstart. Um, eventually, it was a very slow process, but eventually, you know, reforming mental institutions to actually, you know, help people. Yeah. So maybe. Uh, this character could be like a Nellie Bly-like figure. She's a journalist undercover as one of the staff. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Beca- because of other stuff I want to do with it. Okay. So she shows that she's undercover. She manages to get to Dorothy and she like explains to her that, hey, there are some women who they're able to enter other levels of reality where they can accomplish things there that have effects on the real world, but there's stuff that works differently. So like... If you're trying to find a map and you can't get to it in the real world, you could enter a level of reality where, like in the original, they had to fight zombie Nazis. Yeah. In a, like, steampunk World War II. Cool. Uh, I can't remember which one. I think it was Jamie Chung. She had a big old mecha. Nice. <laughs> so Gorski's like, listen, you can, like, reality is a prison. Your mind can set you free. Yeah. Dorothy uses this to, like, enter other levels of reality and just, like, test her abilities. And then she brings in the other five girls. We can still have a girl named Amber, because that's, like, a normal human name. Yeah. And Amber was starting to become a popular name. Yeah. So she manages to recruit the other girls and, like, teach them how to enter the dreamscapes with her. Yeah. Because, like, each level, and it's all, we never go to a brothel level. There's no reason, in this remake, we never need to go to a brothel level. Thank God. <laughs> we, we can skip directly to, there's, like, the training setting, which is the one with the big robot samurai. Yeah. And then there was the Nazi steampunk World War II, the fantasy world, 
mm-hmm. even though the fantasy world had fighter jets, and the high-tech robot train. Oh, there's a high-tech robot train. Cool. We can reskin the fantasy world a little bit so it is more high fantasy, because then we can just have some sweet shots of girls in sensible plate armor. <laughs> and then one one can be like in a chainmail bikini, and she can be like, what? I like the look. <laughs> Yeah, I'm down for that. I feel like I feel like I'm just <laughs> kind of whizzing through the remake now, but it's it's kind of self-explanatory because, like I said, there's a lot of like chunks of the original movie that we just have to like reskin, adjust, and like recontextualize and yeah, recontextualize, and they become a lot better for this. Yeah, um, they get they're able to get the first three items. The key they just got in the real world in the original one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we want to do something like that, but we don't necessarily have to. Yeah. Like we can create a, like a, a different reality for this one. I'm trying to think what some of the stuff they never did. They could do something Gothic. Yeah. They could. Ooh. Okay. So at the end of the original, they got the key because they were able to steal it off of Oscar Isaac's character while they stabbed him cool and in this one they'd still have to get it off his person but now i'm thinking what if like he's able to completely lock instead of kill them he just completely locks away in solitary three out of the five main girls yeah and he's able to get gorski the undercover neverly bly character fired as well or something like get her out so it's just dorothy and penelope (laughs) sure Sweet Penelope. <laughs> and, like, he's about to assault them, and they're able to drag him into a dreamscape with them. And it can be, like, a gothic vampire thing. Ooh. And they use this to, like, completely freak him out and, like, get close to him and steal the key off of his person. Yeah. And leave him a mess. And they get out. They're able to free the other girls. And then at the end, the quote-unquote mystery... Because so in the original, the mystery was baby doll sacrifice. Yeah. In this one, the mystery can be the fact that they can't let all these other girls suffer. Yeah. So instead of enacting their plan to just get the five of them out, Mm -hmm. they redo it and adjust stuff and finds like are able to jump into some of the other realities that they've already been to and use that to create a plan where all of the girls are able to escape. Yeah. Get a message out to Gorski, or like she starts, you know, putting together the the article, and it becomes like headline news about how bad this institution yeah. is. Like a a good chunk of the girls beyond the main cast were able to escape the 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 initial attempts, and then thanks to Gorski, she's able to get the whole thing shut down, and all the other girls are released. Yeah, and we can have. Like, this whole escape sequence can be a huge action sequence where they're just constantly flickering from one layer of reality to another. Ooh, yeah. That's... Because this this is the kind of, I didn't decide which movie to make, so I made all of them that I'd like to see, where it's just everything kind of blending together and, like, time crashing into a single long sequence. Yeah. <laughs> Even, like, have some of the recurring characters is a weird thing to say for a film. The background characters, the supporting characters, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, Some of the supporting cast, like, they can, like, bring their own realities into it, too. Like, an orderly's trying to get her back, and all of a sudden, they're underwater, and she's, like, a mermaid, Ursula thing, and she smacks around, then she escapes, and she gets pulled into the fantasy one, and then they use that to get away, and then they duck into the the Nazi, well, zombie, the zombie Nazi one, 
to get out of there and then and they're back in reality. Yeah. Whoop, there goes gravity. <laughs> you go through the whole thing and then at the end, like after Dorothy and Penelope have been able to find homes for all these girls. Yeah. Or like whether it be like their original homes because they were taken against their family's will or new homes because their families were like, ah, yeah, just stick her in there. We'll get a tax cut or something. Yeah. Gorski like meets with Dorothy and she's like, okay, well, we were able to shut down that asylum. What do we do now? And Dorothy's like, well, now we just got to find the next one. Yeah. And then it can even like cut forward in time where we have a grown up Dorothy and it's like the 50s now. And she's walking into an asylum with a really, like, scared young girl. And Dorothy says the same thing. Reality is a prison. Your mind can set you free. And the last shot is that girl entering her own mindscape. Cool. And then we cut to credits. And a punk pop cover of Sweet Dreams Are Made of These plays, probably. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my... Wow, I went through that way quickly, way faster than I thought I would. Hey, but... That's a pretty good pitch right there, and that's probably the amount of time that a potential producer would give you, so. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm looking at the soundtrack now. Okay. So the only song, so they, okay, they do use Sweet Dreams Are Made of These, but it's a cover of, a cover done by Emily Browning, who played Baby Doll. Cool. Um, and there's also a mashup of I Want It All and We Will Rock You. And obviously there's a cover of Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Yeah. I want a, a, um, a, a more poppy soundtrack. Okay. I want, and this, this is one where some people may disagree, but I'm a huge sucker, punch, <laughs> for movie trailers where everything is set to a pop song. Yeah. Like I love that that has become the latest and greatest marketing tool because usually those trailers a lot of them end up coming out better than the movies even. <laughs> like, remember, did you ever see Suicide Squad? Uh, no. Okay. But you heard about how people reacted. Yeah. But did you see the trailer where that was set to Bohemian Rhapsody? Yes, I did. And was the company that did that, like, weren't they already involved in music videos anyway? I don't know. But that's what I'm saying yeah. is like, the Suicide Squad trailer, like, I liked Suicide Squad, but it wasn't a good movie. The Suicide Squad trailer is a very good movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really great music video. I want Sucker Punch to be a very good, very long music video yeah. that does resemble just 17 music pop music trailers stitched together. Yeah. With an underlying message of women recovering from trauma and helping others recover from trauma. Yeah. Now, my usual go-to for such music would be Florence of the Machine, but I think in this situation, Marina and the Diamonds. Oh, yeah. Bubblegum Bitch would definitely work for something. Yeah. Um, although, I'm sure there's a Florence we could get in there. Um, yeah. Florence of the Machine, What Kind of Man? Yes. <laughs> what kind? Actually, I think What Kind of Man should be like the final song where like mm-hmm. just the mass breakout. Yeah. Um, I, I also think that Churches might be good. Oh, yeah. That would be... They'd probably have some good stuff, even yeah. though... The only song I can think of right now is Bury It, and I don't think that would fit with the aesthetic we're aiming for. No, uh, maybe Miracle? I don't know that one. i got to listen to more churches. Like, I love them. Okay. But I've only listened to maybe three of their songs. Oh. You poor child. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm suffering. <sighs> I'll send you a link later. Okay. 
Let's see. What are some other stuff, music or otherwise? Um, Maybe connect each of like the dream realms to a specific girl. Yeah. Like instead of having it just be random, it's like, well, this is influenced by their likes or like yeah. their personality. Yeah. Not just what Zack Snyder is really into. Yeah. Again, skills of an auteur, mind of a 16-year-old. I mean, listen, a lot of the stuff that Zack Snyder's into, I'm also probably into. I feel like you're also probably into. It's just that we appreciate them in a more sensible manner. I don't know, because he's also into Ayn Rad, so... Okay, so maybe... I said most, not all. Yeah. (laughs) Look, not everybody can have as good a taste as we do. But, like, you... You like fantasy stuff. Yeah. And you like fighting Nazis and you like fighting zombies. So I'm not why. that big of a fan of zombies. Okay, but you like beating up Nazis. Yeah. And you dig giant robots. Yes. I dig giant robots. <laughs> Chicks dig giant robots. <laughs> Everybody likes a good NECA. Nice. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why Gundam has been around for 40 years. I really should get into Gunpla. It seems like a pretty chill hobby. Yeah, that seems like a great thing for you to sink all your money into. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Ryan and I's decorating skills are pretty nerdy. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, but with all the plushies. Um, Bicon of the week is one of the girls. How about all the girls? All the girls. They're all came down with a bad case of bisexuality you yep. gotta toss him in an asylum and also most of the guys suck in this anyway so there's there's three major male characters there's oscar isaac who's bad there's the stepfather who's bad and there's john ham who's eh. yeah <laughs> mediocre white man <laughs> not technically a villain uh in in the real reality he like brings it to the attention that he's been like doing a bunch of lobotomies and he thinks that's he thinks 20 lobotomies in a month is a bit much and madame gorsky's like well i didn't ask for 20 lobotomies and he's like but you signed for 20 lobotomies and she looks and she's like that's not my signature and that's how they find out that uh, oscar isaac's character has been lobotomizing any girl that knows too much basically Great. Or that their guardians pay enough money for. Yeah. But like this this helps him get arrested and he's shut down and Gorski is put in charge of the asylum so that she can actually help the girls because she's a real psychologist, I guess. I, I don't know. The point being, nobody gets shot or lobotomized or stabbed in our version of Sucker Punch unless they're a terrible orderly and that accounts for 90% of the staff probably. Yeah. Yeah, like you know how, the, how in uh, Stranger Things season one when uh, Eleven basically lobotomizes those two orderlies for being rough on her. Yeah. Yep. That's how I want to feel about them. They had it coming. They had it coming. They only (laughs) had themselves to blame. That's the closest I'm going to get to singing on this podcast. Unless you go into some like Georgia version where you're like singing just because you felt like it. Yeah. (laughs) I wish I had a, good a voice as Karen so that's true man she could have been like the lead singer of a of a riot girl band oh that's another music thing that we could do we could plumb the depths of various riot girl bands and see who's willing to do a song for us yeah um does Sleater Kinney count as a rock girl band 
Maybe. Is Sleaterkinney a band or is it just one person? How do you spell that? I, I don't know. My only exposure to Sleaterkinney is through the works of Kieran Gillen. Ah. They're an American They're an American band. Oh, I thought they'd be British because, hmm. again, Kieran Gillen. Uh, American rock band. Current lineup features Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein. Well, they fall under punk rock, indie rock, and Riot Girl, so okay. There you go. Oh, I do like how Riot Girl is spelt with no I and three R's. Yeah. <laughs> Underground feminist punk. Oh, this is exactly the mood I'm trying to get with this movie. Yes. The the cinematography here should be done by a person who has made 17 separate zines. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we should just reboot this as a zine. <laughs> That's the kind of taste I want in this. Yes. I want d- dirt under dirt under your hot pink nails. Yeah. As you punch a dude. School uniform that hasn't been washed in about three days, but do you really care? No. It's covered in the blood of your enemies and a milkshake. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah, surprised that, that milkshakes have become like the drink of the Antifa. Election day, definitely bringing a milkshake into the voting booth. Because you never know. <laughs> oh, I just realized, if we're sending this in the 1910s, we can't really do Nazi zombies on account of the Nazis hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Or we could set this in the 1920s when they were still, you know, trying to get some power. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there's going to be a far future setting. Yeah. And again, time is warped and space is bendable in this movie, so... And everyone's in a dream sequence. Yeah, and we're doing a lot for the aesthetic, so. Yeah, like we don't even have to explicitly say that it's in the 1910s. We can go with 19XX. Yeah. (laughs) What year is it? 19. 19. Sorry about that. 19 vaguely past. Yes. It's before 1950. Unless it's after. (laughs) It's 19 shrug. Exactly. <laughs> what year is it? Exactly. <laughs> What's my year again? What's my year again? <laughs> and the credits are set to all the small things. <laughs> but covered by Cheap Trick. <laughs> or no, who did it be covered by Save Ferris? Yeah. <laughs> Who's their vocalist? Monique Powell. She would do an excellent cover of All the Small Things. Awesome. <laughs> I want this now. <laughs> We've managed to make the soundtrack cooler than the movie. I mean, I, that was kind of the critical response to the original soundtrack, too. Oh, wow. And hey, I don't think there's anything wrong with the original soundtrack. It's just not the kind of sound that I want for this. I'm specifically looking for a little bit more poppy, yeah. gr- gritty pop, girl, riot girl, riot, riot, <laughs> <laughs> riot girl. That's it by a Porygon. I <laughs> know. <laughs> is there anything you can think of to add to Sucker Punch? Um. Well, we're obviously going to do the whole, like, color scheme-wise. The asylum's going to be cold and dreary and all that sort of stuff. And then the fantasy... Everything's going to be a lot more vibrant. Yeah. Even, like, the gothic vampire setting will be a lot more vibrant. Yeah, a lot more rich tones, like a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah. (laughs) 
oh gosh, what if we just got a different director for every fantasy sequence? Ooh, yeah. So it would be like, there is a comic that yeah. unfortunately didn't go past five or six issues. It was called Cry Havoc by Cy Spurrier. And it had a past section, a present section, and a future section. And each one like the, is the same artist, but each one had a different colorist. Ooh. And a different color scheme. Yeah. So the past was blue and the present was yellow and the future was red. Cool. And so this would be like the cinematic equivalent of that yeah. where each fantasy sequence has like, we have mostly the same crew throughout, but each different dreamscape has a different director. Yeah. And so we can give like Patty Jenkins can have the fantasy one. Yeah. And Guillermo can have the more gothic one. Um, if the, the Nazi war one can be, what was her name from the Hurt Locker? Uh, Catherine Bigelow. There we go. And I can't think of any other female directors, um, which is a problem of the culture more so than myself. Yeah. Like, we could have, like, a Western sequence. Um, Ooh, I would like that. Ooh, we could have... What if we did Western zombies instead of Nazi zombies? Yeah. Do the whole weird, weird Western thing, and it would totally fit, because, like, the Wild West is a weird place anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Olivia Wilde did book smart, so she could do the high school sequence, but apparently she's also working on a thriller. Oh, cool. What I'm saying is she probably has a lot of untapped depth. Yeah. Book smart was her first film. It was excellent. Ooh. God damn. Oh, here's another director that we could tap. Uh, Amy Jo Johnson. Oh, right. She's a director. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Are we getting Sentai with this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, she's a lot more cool with her Power Rangers past anyway than she used to be. Yeah. Oh, God. I would love... What if... What if Hasbro asks David and Amy to just make the next Power Rangers movie? Yes! I would cry. (laughs) I can see it now. We're in the theater and you are weeping with joy. No, I would... Honestly, I'd... If that happened, I would... Fly down to watch it with Jake. Yes. <laughs> and we cry together. <laughs> okay, I think... <laughs> I don't think we can top that. Yeah. <laughs> can you think of anything? Nope. Uh, in that case, I'm going to enter another level of dream reality where we have a friendship promo. Cool. I'll come with. Hi, I'm Janine. And I'm Locke. And we have a question for you. What is your favorite Pokemon? Over on our new podcast, My Favorite Pokemon, we sit down with you just to ask... Well, who your favorite Pokemon is. And we also talk about some other things, such as... Well, why you like your Pokemon, along with what kind of nicknames that you would like to give them, and also, what would you do with your Pokemon if they were actually here with us in real life? You can subscribe to us on Twitter at MyFavoritePokemon, and that is Pokemon spelled P-K-M-N. So subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. we're back hey Lindsay. hey tanner what what if i what if i said this like joe does on sugar we're going down podcasting <laughs>
Lindsay. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet? I'm at lindsaym476 on Twitter. That's Lindsay spelled with an A. And you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on the internet on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and it's pronounced Sweet dreams made of these. Who am I to help the bees? <laughs> and you can find this very podcast on Instagram at Not If I Reboot You First, all one word. The hashtag is N-I-I-R-Y-F, and that is pronounced Hello Daddy, Hello Mom. I'm your cherry bomb. I don't actually think that was in the original movie, but it should have been. Yeah. Let's add Cherry Bomb to the soundtrack. Yes. Done. <laughs> um, covered by Heim. No. <laughs> I don't know. No. Cherry Bomb covered by Sleater Kenny. Yeah. If they haven't done it already. And if you'd like to support us directly, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash first, where you can get a bevy of bonuses by supporting us financially, including a weekly shadow for all of our patrons, including Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. You can also email us at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send your condoms, critiques, your criticisms, your favorite dreamscape that you use to escape the hell timeline that we're stuck in right now. <laughs> or if you'd like to be a guest, but if you want to be that, send us a hint rather than the entire idea because we like being surprised. You can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us stuck in there. <laughs> Last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. Yay! God, I think that was the smoothest spiel I've done in the history of my life. <laughs> that was great! I'm going to have to re-listen to this and write that down. Yes. It was perfect. Yes. So, Tanner... So, Lindsay. Next week. Next week is episode 50. Is it? Yes, it yes. is. It's the big one. We're 50. Favo. <laughs> and, uh, we gotta fix something. So, tune in next week, true believers. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> Can you say that again, both like louder and more gusto? Excelsior! Beautiful. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. you Florence but you're hard to sing I mean she's definitely Faye right yeah I I'm pretty sure she's from Wales so you're automatically half Faye there the only reason we get to like hear her music is because she's on a brief leave of absence from the Sealy court yeah